want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all of Scripture, well, learn with us at the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. On today's episode, we'll actually be hearing a question and answer session from our last conference, a conference that took place in Scotland uh, this past May. The panel for the Q&A is made up of uh, five different men. I'm hosting the panel, and then you have Paul Rees and Jacob Brothers from Scotland, Jeff Hay from Ireland, and Nate Aiken, one of our uh, regular contributors and our host here on the podcast. We hope this Q&A will be helpful for you possibly answering some of the questions that you've asked about how to preach Christ from the wisdom literature. So what, what wisdom books have you preached? So we'll start with Nate and just sort of work this way. I've only preached parts of uh, Proverbs. So yeah, only parts of, well, yeah, parts of Proverbs. Uh, we've, we've preached through a bit of the Psalms, uh, quite a number of them, but you know, if you count those, but yeah. We count them, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Psalms. Not the whole thing. No. <laughs> uh, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Songs, uh, and Job. Not Proverbs. That's why you were not on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Paul? Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. Okay. Well, I preach through Proverbs and the first, we're, we're going every summer through the Psalms, so we're through Psalm 44 now. So we're sort of working our way through that. Okay. Now, burning questions. Who's got the first one? No, oh, fantastic. I'm going I'm to repeat the question because we're recording. So sure. when you preach Song of Songs, how did you divide it up? How, how quick did you go? How long? So Jeff and Paul, this will be for you. Okay, I actually was planning on doing it on five, but then ended up doing it on four. I decided uh, after hearing some feedback, uh, as I mentioned, <laughs> But actually, it's, it was an interesting one because I was chatting to Paul about this afterwards. Uh, the younger generation were loving it and, and wanting more. Uh, it was just, it was actually probably a few of the widows uh, were going, Whoa. I heard via others. They didn't even say it to me myself. And I just thought, I think I've covered this enough. So I did it just in four, and I can't remember. I have the breakdown written down somewhere else, but it was like one to two, seven, and then uh, I actually then, because there is a little bit of a chiastic structure, covered two and an early three with, with five and six, and, and, and then I did the wedding and uh, the coming together, and then I did the end chapter eight and the, and the covenant commitment stuff. So that was my split up. Yeah, I preached it in nine and um, you never have to do that opening illustration to hook people in. <laughs> they are in. Uh, preach the Song of Solomon's because I can guarantee it'll be the best sermon they've ever heard because it'll be the only sermon they've ever heard. And um, I found that there was a tremendous reaction, particularly amongst the women, 
who really appreciated it. And, and if their husbands missed out on that week, they told me that they would sit them down during the week and make them listen to it. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think uh, Jeff's helpful observation that I think that uh, Proverbs is directed to the, the men. Song of Songs to the Women makes a lot of sense in, in the wisdom literature. But it's, I, 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 I listen to a very help. There's a, Nancy Guthrie does these little sessions uh, on whole books of the Bible. And I heard Phil Reichen uh, talk about him preaching at Wheaton uh, College, uh, Song of Songs. And I found that very liberating. And uh, he basically says, look, you're going for the vibe. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's a love playlist of different scenes of, of the maturation of love. And um, you're not to f- find, you know, this means that and try and work out all the, you are just getting a sense of the, the richness and vividness and the joy. And, and actually you can have a bit of fun with it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And uh, the church really did enjoy it because it is the song of songs. It's the greatest song. I think, Jeff, you're the only one who's done Job, right? Seriously? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's another how, how did you div- book. But how did you divide that one? That's oh, a that's, tough that's one. That's going back a while. But uh, yeah, the chapters one and two, because, uh, you know, the, the, the setting, the scene, I did chapter three, which shows the, the turmoil, the, the grief, and so that's very relatable. Uh, and then I covered the, the, the three guys together on on their wrong advice on theology. Maybe we did chapter 19. I think I did chapter 28. I think I did Elihu's section as well, and then I did the Lord's response, uh, and then finally Job 42. So that was my split. So roughly, would you guess how many sermons? Yeah, about six or seven. Six or seven, okay. I should jump in and say, uh, to be fair, I have preached all of the wisdom literature because we just did an overview sermon on a Sunday night of each book of the Bible, well, but it doesn't really count, does it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Technically. So, <laughs> but, but, but I think it is helpful, you know, even though you're not expositionally going through, to, to see the overarching, uh, you know, whole point of, and, and really you can really drill down on how it does all point to Christ. And I think in general, getting our people, especially with the, the old covenant, understanding that Jesus is the center of it all, I think is a, a good point, isn't it? Probably helpful for them, but also helpful for you. If you were to go back through, yeah. you've already done that overview. So it sort of prepares you for a future series. Yeah, exactly. So one of the questions I did get was if preaching Christ-centered sermons and the fear that um, sermons would end up sounding very similar. So Nate, do you want to Talk about this a little bit. How do you like preach Christ-centered sermon and not maybe feel like it's just a biblical theology lecture each week, yeah. and but they each you know really come from the text and like it doesn't feel like you're repeating the same thing week in and week out. Well, for one, I, your sermon should sound the same in one sense every single week. So there should be obviously we're pressing in on the gospel for believers and unbelievers um, because of the things we've said today as far as ultimate sanctification, even for the saint, is coming from the gospel, not just uh, do this better kind of thing. So in one sense, all of our sermons every week are going to be very similar as far as the appeal uh, and kind of the response. But all these different books, if we're true expositors, all these different books have different avenues in each chapter as far as how they're getting us to, to Christ. But even with kind of what I talked about today, if I was preaching through Proverbs, you know, some weeks may be very focused on Jesus as wisdom. Some some weeks may be very focused on Jesus as a son. Uh, there could be other ways by which you would just 
weave in different ways to get to Christ and then get to application from there that would sound different uh, and, and not just hit the same thing every week. For instance, you know, I was, when, when I was at Imago Dei, a church in Raleigh, we preached through First uh, and Second Kings. Uh, interesting when you go to Gospel Coalition and other websites, after about Second Kings 6, the amount of sermons starts to trickle off fairly <laughs> significantly. Uh, but, but our application in one sense every week was we need a better king. Um, and whether it was a good king or a bad king, we need a better king. But the way by which those kings showed themselves to be failures were different, um, dif- different every week. And so some of that sounded the same, but then much of that sounded very different. So, that, that was so in some ways you're highlighting different aspects of Christ's perfection. Right. Um, and even our own failure and need for his perfection yeah. based upon the unique way the king struggled and failed. Good. Okay, other, other questions you have? Chris? So what's the process you go through when you can't find Jesus very easily in a specific text? I'm not going to be very helpful here because I have three brothers and a dad who are all in ministry. If I can't find it, which has been very rare, I just text them and say, what am I missing? Uh, am I, yeah, and I've obviously been... Uh, Is that an offer? Can the people just text the Aikens? I, I, I hesitate to offer something when particularly my brother's not here, but I, I have found him with other guys who don't know him well, if they send an email saying, hey, I'm struggling with this, how would you see it? He, he would definitely respond and be happy to, to, give, to give feedback. I mean, there's lots of little ways, aren't there? And I think the key thing is if you've got a New Testament controlling text uh, that helps unlock a way. So I'm preaching through Exodus, I'm, and I'm slowing down to do the furniture of the tabernacle. And, uh, you know, the incidental things, Hebrews 10 talks about uh, we enter into a new and living way through the curtain that is his body. Wow, well, that's interesting. So I'm now supposed to study the tabernacle and the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. And I've got to understand in what way is that curtain Christ? His body. Oh, that's very interesting. And we could... It, well, I won't do it now, but it, there are some very interesting things you can then push into because there's kind of cherubim on it that are preventing the way, and there's these three chords in it, and there's a purple, there's a red, there's a blue chord. Oh, that's very interesting. There's a, well, I won't do it now, but anyway, you look for a controlling text, and, and, and you, you know, we, we, in a sense, the text goes forward, but we read backwards, don't we? So the New Testament fulfillment going back in the way. And I, and I, will, I will be helpful, actually. Um, I always read, if any Old Testament text, there's, it's a wide breadth of books, but I always see, has Goldworthy, Goldworthy said anything about this? I'll read Lightheart. I'll read Jim Hamilton from Southern. I'll read uh, Selhammer's compact, uh, NIV compact commentary. All those things will typically f- help me see something, even if it's just very minimal, it will help me to think through a, co- a concept or a type or something that I can dig into more to, to try to find if I'm, if I'm missing it. So those would be some books I always have, if I'm preaching an Old Testament text, I always have ready to consult uh, as I preach. If you have a, uh, a Greek New Testament, Nestland and Alland thing, uh, when, when I was at the theological college, I was given one. Uh, so I've got one. And the most useful thing it, in the back, it's got a list of... Um, direct quotations of the Old Testament in the New, and allusions. Now, that's rich, a rich seam to dig into that and go back the way. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's another great way to look.
Bale's commentary with Carson, New Testament use in the old, is also, now that's on the New Testament use of the old, but if you go to the back of that and see where all the Old Testament is quoted, uh, mentioned, uh, I even just did that again recently. So, but there's, to that question, I suppose that's what has, over the years has convinced me more in preaching Christ. It, it, it's not happening as much uh, where I don't see it. Unless you're only in a smaller section and then maybe there's an advantage on, on, on taking time over it or you just preaching the series, you might just span out a little bit further and take a couple of chapters together in a narrative or something uh, like that. So I think one, there are two streams usually to get to Christ. One is biblical theology, one is systematic theology. So where is this in sort of the timeline of redemption? So where does this fall? So locating it there often gets you to Christ. Also, are there certain truths that can sort of lead us systematically? So mentions of blood and forgiveness and, you know, and the temple. These are always, always get to Christ. And if none of those work, Sidney Gradanus has a book that has seven ways to get to Christ. Um, from like every passage, so you just just start walking through his seven ways. You're going to find one that works. Uh, I I always find it helpful um, to like like Jeff said to to back up and look at the bigger picture. Like if if this intricate detail, if I'm not really sure, but usually that's part of a bigger pericope or a, or, or a bigger narrative. That clearly, I mean, it all does point to Christ at the end of the day. But but backing up and maybe looking at the bigger part and, and more of the bigger story. And I suppose this, it's all contextualized based on what, what book you're preaching through. And I mean, you don't want to be legalistic and force it. You know, I mean, we could all be Spurgeon and look at the, oh, the red cord of Rahab, that's Jesus. You know, I mean, I think it's maybe a bit of a stretch. And so I don't think we need to be legalistic about it, but because uh, I think we can err on too much on the other side. I think we do need to preach in context. This is what this meant to these people that time but yet make sure that where we go is Jesus as well. We can't miss the forest for the trees and not miss the trees for the forest as well. So I think we do have to have both, but knowing that this is not just a, a Jewish text, we do need to have Christ as the fulfillment of it all. Now, Jacob, at our last Christ Center and Clear, John showed us how the red cord and Rahab actually did lead us to Christ. Guys, his thought on that, do you think a lot of Christ Center preaching takes larger chunks of Scripture, particularly in Old Testament, in versus some type of expository preaching that is really, really so slow that I, don't, I guess I'm not sure what I'm asking. Maybe you know what I'm asking. Does it lead? Does it make it a little simpler by taking some larger chunks versus really slowly, particularly through Old Testament texts? So some of the guys that take, uh, and I don't know all these preachers comprehensively, but some of the guys that are much slower in their exposition very rarely preach the Old Testament anyway. So it's like I don't know. So part of my answer is I don't know. Uh, I do think uh, some of the Christ-centered guys do take larger chunks, um, and I think that's good, but you were giving him a hard time for preaching one sermon, and Job, I mean, Jeff just preached four more, and we gave him, you know, like, oh, that's great, you did a good job. So uh, sometimes I think that people take too much, and we're going to miss some of the detail, um, but there are, like, so, so for instance, it's been fun talking to Paul about the tabernacle. I could see taking the tabernacle in one sermon, or I can see taking the tabernacle in each piece of furniture and both being beneficial. Uh, I don't think you have a like a best practice. I think you just have good practices that be helpful to your people. Yeah. Okay, we have a couple more minutes. So, any more questions? I mean, we've had two whole questions, so we could go for a third. Dave. Okay. What would be unfaithful ways to preach Christ from the Old Testament? 
Interesting. Who wants to go on that one? The tent pegs of the tabernacle, you know, I mean, is it, is it really that specific? I mean, yes, all the, sorry, yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. I'm all about Jesus being, but, but is it, is it, I mean, are we just forcing it? That's, I guess, my question. Maybe not. Maybe it all is, but I just feel like it's forced a bit. You know what I mean? Um, I, you know, I think keep, I'm going to use a Nate, a common Nate illustration uses of his dad. Do you want to give it? You should tell know. it. This is the, this is the striking out. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So our, I'm a maximalist when it comes to Christ-centered. Like, if the scale is like Walt Kaiser, don't do any of it kind of thing, all the way to, like, allegory, I'm probably closer to allegory. Like, I, I mean, even Paul says it. I'm using allegory. Um, so I'm a maximalist on this. I do think there are times when people use things like, hey, David picked up four stones and it was, it represented these four things. I mean, I think there's no way of knowing in the text. Um, so I think RG Lee's funny. He's, you know, he says he picked up four stones because he heard that Goliath had three brothers. I think that's, that's, you know, funny, but we don't know why he picked up that many stones. I think it was um, five. What's that? It was five brothers. Yeah. So four, yeah. And he, so he had four brothers. Um, uh, I'm still on jet lag. Thanks, Jeff. Um, uh, um, but so I, I just kind of, the question I would like to turn that question around typically and say, what's the danger in not trying? Um, because I think we have many people who are afraid to not say, hey, this is Jesus where Jesus may not be. And so like when we were growing up playing baseball, my dad never got mad at us if we struck out, if we struck out swinging. But if we struck out watching the third pitch, he was like, why didn't you take a cut? Do I why need didn't to you translate try? that Yeah, so cricket? baseball is sort of like but better than cricket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rounders. It's the true and better cricket. The true and right? better cricket. We perfected it. Um, yeah. But, like, if you, if you like, if the ball, what's, it's a wicket. If it hits the wicket, you're out kind of thing. Yeah, if the ball went by and you didn't even take a cut, like, that's not a good, that's not a good way to go about christ or preaching because we do believe that he's everywhere in the Old Testament. So we would just say, I'd rather you take the swing and miss and accidentally put Jesus where he wasn't. Uh, than, than to not try. Uh, we are on a panel one time, uh, my, my twin brother was on a panel, where he was pictured as the kind of the extreme Christ-centered guy, and then there was a guy on the panel that was like, doesn't do it at all, and then there was a guy in the middle who was like, I'm just right, you know, I'm, I'm the center. And John's like, hey, well then on, on my tombstone, I'm happy for you to put, he preached Christ too much. Like, he went too far in that. And like, yeah, and I, I'm just happy to be, hey, I'm going to take the swing, and if somehow I've made up something that's not there, I'm going to trust at the end of the day like the Lord, like is going to be happy that we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's that's probably my take. My my observation would be: I'm not sure you can ever do anything wrong by going to Jesus, uh, but I think what you can do is you can rob people of their Bibles if you come up with something mystical that no one can see in the text. Because uh, if they're gullible, they go, gosh, he's amazing. I could never have seen that. I couldn't see that. I could... Wow, look what he did. But, but if, you, if at the end of the explanation, they go, oh, yeah, I see that in there. And I see that in the text. And that makes sense. I hadn't seen that, but I see it. That's wonderful. You've helped them read their Bible. But if you keep telling them the things that they couldn't see, you're taking the Bible away from them. And that would be my concern. So going back to Rahab and the Red Cord, John showed us how the connection to the Passover um, yeah. and the the red cord preventing the destruction of that home and therefore then from there to Christ. Right. And so you see it and you're like, 
Oh, yeah. There, and I think that's such a, you want to encourage people to read their Bibles well, so if you jump to things without showing it, then it, it discourages Bible reading. Swing, right? Well, no, I, no, I, no. I mean, I, I understand the question. I think it's a good question. I think what Paul said is is correct. Like I would agree. I don't, I don't just take a color and say it means X, Y. But part of the, some of the times the accusation against Christ-centered preachers is they they read a text in the Old Testament, and they go straight to Jesus. The guys that are in the circle, like particularly like in this, particularly in this circle, aren't doing that. They're giving kind of like concentric circles. So, like, what does this mean for who it was written to in, initially? And then broadening out from there, what is it saying for, the, for all the people of God? But I do think from Genesis 3 on, uh, so Selhammer makes an argument that the Old Testament is a, is a book about messianic hope. It's, it's, and so it's from Genesis 3 on, there is this understanding of uh, there's somebody coming who's going to fix this. Uh, and so even in you pick up all those promises, Genesis 49, and then you get... Uh, to Second Samuel seven, so you're picking up the promises of like who's going to come and fix this and and turn and turn everything around, and so I think that the old covenant community had more of an understanding of that messianic hope than we give them credit for sometimes. There's big debates among you know New Testament Old Testament guys like you can't say anything in your sermon that people figured out later on. Well, it's like okay, like none of the apostles really thought Isaiah 53 was about a suffering Messiah who would come back from the dead. It changed once they saw the resurrection. It's like, well, it's kind of the sixth sense illustration. You can't go back and read the Old Testament just like without any understanding of what's now happened. And so I think there were these echoes and these types is what I, I mean, I'm very comfortable with what Jason helped us understand, very comfortable with types that are finding their greater fulfillment in Christ. Uh, and so it's, it's the, the people who are reading the Old Testament, if they were around when everything obviously came to, to, to the Friday and then Sunday, I think they would have looked at their Bibles and been like, man, we were, we were being prepared for this all along. And, uh, and now we see it. And again, it's this whole, uh, Peter used it, we, we, angels long to look into this. They, they, they're now seeing more clearly what the Lord was unpacking all along. Well, and I think one thing to consider too is the Old Testament isn't simply history, it's interpreted history. And so, like, a lot of times when things were happening to people in the Old Testament, they had no idea what it was. But the, by the time it was written down, those events were interpreted for us. And so I think we just have to understand that it was written as interpreted history, which is leading to the coming of Christ. And so, like, 
the cord over Rahab's thing was just a red cord to protect it from destruction, but it was included in there in connect, and connected in some ways to the Passover so that we would continue to see it as this ongoing promise of deliverance through the, through the death of a, of a sacrifice. So she is being included in the Passover work of Israel by her faith in the, the God's salvation, and so, which ultimately leads to Christ. And so just understanding that the Old Testament is, isn't simply history, it's interpreted history. I think it was Salehammer who said that if you had a father and son uh, um, walking through the Red Sea, they w- the, the son would have looked at the walls of water and says, Dad, what does it all mean? And he would have said, I don't know. I'll have to wait, wait till Moses writes the book. In other words, like, they, didn't, they often know what's going on, but it's recorded to us in such a way that the significant events and the future connections are sort of embedded in there. Well, our time is up. Well, we hope you've enjoyed these episodes recorded at our spring Christ-Centered and Clear conference in Scotland, and we hope you'll join us for our next conference in your area. Next week, we begin a series called Tough Passages in the Old Testament. We'll start by looking at the story of Judah and Tamar from Genesis chapter 38. If you're not familiar with the story, read it this week, and then join us next time on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com and please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.